Well, good morning, and it is good to have all of you with us today. We're glad that you're here, and if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me to the book of Acts and to chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. While you're making your way there, back in, uh, back in the spring of 2006, uh, I was able to travel to Southeast Asia. Specifically, I traveled to the countries of Vietnam and to Indonesia and to Thailand, where I, along with a, a, a number of other seminary students and, and pastors, went there to study and to imagine how U.S. churches could go to that part of the world and, and plant churches in that region. And um, one, one day we had a group, the group that I was with had a, had a, a, a dinner that night with uh, some Indonesian believers. But it was a dinner like I had never had before and, and honestly never had since. Um, the Indonesian custom required us to all sit on the floor in kind of a circle and the food was served and we were eating off plates uh, with, with our hands on, on the floor. And um, the Indonesians did not have any trouble with that whatsoever. But after just a little while, a big old boy like myself had a hard time sitting crisscross applesauce for very long. My legs started going numb, and my hips started going numb, and, it, and I looked around, and I wasn't the only one that this was happening to. A lot of my friends that had come with me over there were having, and before the thing was over with, and we were just kind of sprawled out, laying down flat, you know, trying to eat. It was awful. And um, I remember leaving that dinner that night thinking to myself, I was concerned that maybe somehow unintentionally we had offended our, our hosts, and, and I, was, I was thinking about the differences in our customs and, and how we live such completely different lives and, and go about things in completely different ways. And, and I was afraid that, you know, maybe we had done something unintentionally to offend them. Well, fortunately, the next day, our Indonesian friend showed just how, how merciful and how gracious they actually were. Remember, I said this was in 2006. It was actually in the spring of 2006. Uh, about 15 months after December the 26th of 2004, which many of you will remember was when that massive tsunami hit in Southeast Asia and, and devastated much of that part of the world. And as a result, during our tour of that area, we saw much of the destruction and we saw much of the devastation firsthand. And we talked to people who had lost everything. They had lost family members and loved ones. They had lost their livelihoods. They... They had lost their homes. Um, in fact, I don't think it would be too far to say that their entire lives had been overwhelmed by the waves of the sea as it crashed in and sucked out everything that they had out into the ocean. And in their sorrow and in their vulnerability, I suddenly felt a very strong connection. Though I'd never experienced a tsunami, I did know what it was like to experience sadness and grief over losing loved ones. I knew what it was like to have dreams shattered and broken. And in those moments, I believe all of us Americans that were on that trip realized that as different as we were culturally and, and ethnically from our Indonesian friends, we were very much the same humanly. There was, there was more that we had in common than, than that which was on the surface. 
But I want you to know that today as we look at Acts chapter 8, I believe we're going to see a very similar picture. Um, in this narrative, we read of an encounter that takes place between two men who are as complete opposites of one another as they possibly could be. But through their encounter with one another, the power of the gospel is unleashed. And what we find is that these two men are much more alike than we might have ever imagined at the beginning. And listen, I want you to know that's what the gospel does. That is what the good news of Jesus Christ does. It seeks and it finds us in our differentness so that it can address us in our sameness. And as dissimilar and as diverse as we are, there is one thing that unites all of us, and that is our absolute need of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that sort of gives us an introduction to this text today that I think some some things that are going to emerge from it. And I want us to begin reading in Acts chapter 8, down in verse 26, down through the end of the chapter. So pick up with me there in verse 26. Hear the word of God. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, a great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Well, he was returning sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azostus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have with our Bibles open before us to be able to peer into your holy word. Now, we ask for you to speak to us, help us to give us ears to hear and a heart to be able to understand. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Now, the first thing that I want to tell you is I think that it's important to point out that this story begins in the middle of chapter 8. It it begins with, and the reason that I think that it's important to note that this story begins in the middle of chapter 8 is because if you go back and read the first part of chapter 8, then you will find that 
Philip had been in the area of Samaria where he had been preaching about Jesus. And when he was in Samaria, he was seeing many, many men and women come to faith in Christ. In fact, by all accounts, the ministry was, was tremendously successful. And the Lord was using Philip mightily in Samaria, which makes this transition to verse 26 here in the middle of this chapter sort of difficult to understand. Because we read that God speaks to Philip by, by an angel of the Lord who, who tells him to leave Samaria. He says, arise and, and go and go south of Jerusalem to a place near Gaza and on the road toward Gaza. And then Luke adds this comment, this is desert. Now, that, that term desert there means more than just a place that was hot and dry and, and sandy. It, it literally means a place that is isolated, a place that is desolate a place that was deserted. Now, let's be honest, that, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, in light of the evangelistic success that Philip was experiencing, why would God take him from Samaria and have him go to where nobody is? I mean, on the surface, that's a real head-scratcher to try to figure out. But... As we will find out, God is not pulling Philip from the game. He's not taking him out of the Super Bowl and sitting him on the sidelines. No, God is working, as we will see, behind the scenes to cross Philip's path with someone who desperately needed to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And I think that's something that's very important that we ought to note. In fact, it leads me to the first point on your outline. It's printed there in your bulletins, and I realize it's not going to be on the screen, but I'll give you... Hopefully, we'll give it to you the way that I had it printed in the bulletin. But the first point that I want you to know, the first thing that I really want you to pick up from this text is this. God works behind the scenes to bring the good news to your attention. God, God works behind the scenes to bring the good news to your attention. I think that's quite evident in the case of this Ethiopian eunuch. But let me ask you, do you realize that God has done that for you as well? Do you realize that God has been working behind the scenes of your life to bring you to this place and at this time so that you might hear and understand the good news of the gospel? That reveals to us just how gracious and kind God is. It reveals to us just how sovereign He is, that He moves in all the right places and, and He moves all the right pieces to just the right spots in order for us to encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that God is not a distant God. He's not a God that's way out there that is unapproachable and does not care about what's going on here. He's not a God that is detached from us. He's not the God that some would say who, who creates the watch and winds it up and then just leaves it and lets it run while he goes off and does other things in the universe. No, God is actively involved. God knows his creation. He knows his people and he takes an active role in going about introducing us to the gospel in our lives. He's actively working even if we do not recognize that. God often works behind the scenes to bring the gospel to your attention. Now, recognizing that, we see specifically in this passage that God was working behind the scenes to bring the gospel to the attention of this Ethiopian eunuch. And from the description that Luke gives of him, there's a few things that we can know about this man. First of all, he was, a, he was an influential man and a man of wealth. Now, F.F. F. Bruce points out that common folks during that time traveled by foot. Um, 
prosperous people rode on donkeys. Military generals rode on horseback. But to ride in a chariot? Well, that, that signaled significant wealth. and That's what this Ethiopian eunuch was traveling in. He was in a chariot. Why was he in a chariot? It was because he was a man of influence. Luke tells us here in Acts that, that he, he served the queen of Ethiopia. He was her treasurer. He was the one who likely uh, negotiated terms of contracts and deals on her behalf. And so he was a man of wealth. He was a man of, of influence. We should also note that being from Ethiopia, he was very likely a Gentile. Most, most, would, most scholars believe that he actually was an Ethiopian and, and by birth, and so he was a Gentile who had traveled to Jerusalem from Africa in order to worship, and he was now returning home, back to his homeland, back to a land that was very different from the country into which he had traveled. And so he was a man who was very different from and lived in a very different set of circumstances than the one that Philip lived in. Luke also tells us that he was a eunuch, which meant that he had been emasculated at some point in his life. It was possible that he had volunteered for that to occur to him because that did happen in some cases, but it's much more likely that, that this procedure had been performed on him by force. It's quite common in those cultures of that day to emasculate young men who were being groomed to serve high-ranking officials. Because it was believed that by doing so, the man would become more loyal and he would likely not cause much trouble and that he would not create a coup by trying to establish his own family line because he would not have one. And so the reality is, is this Ethiopian eunuch had no family and he really had no hope for one. Many have believed that that is suggesting what caused him to long for a relationship with God, which we know that Luke tells us that he had just come from Jerusalem on his way back to Ethiopia, and he had gone to Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping. However, it's likely that his trip was disappointing to him. According to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, a man who had been emasculated or had been mutilated in this way could not enter the temple courts. Furthermore, based upon Levitical law, his physical condition would have prevented him from becoming a full proselyte to Judaism. And what all that means is that even though this Ethiopian eunuch obviously wanted a relationship with Israel's God, he would have been kept at arm's length. He would have been treated as an outcast. He would have been treated as damaged goods. He would have been treated as something less than a man. But the beautiful part of this story is that God saw this Ethiopian eunuch just as he was. He was different, he'd been mutilated, he was lonely, he was longing. God had Philip, a man who was very different from this Ethiopian eunuch, go and take the gospel message to him. And that's what leads me to the second point on your outline. The second point that I want you to note from what we gain from this passage is this, though there may be many things that make us different from one another, the gospel is relevant to all of us. There may be many, in fact, there are many things that differentiate us in this room from one another. In fact, for some of us, there may be more things that, that seemingly make us dissimilar to one another than there are things that we hold in common. But there is one thing that we all share. It starts right there in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where Paul tells us that all have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. I'm going to give you a little insight into the Greek language right here. All means all. That doesn't mean some of the all. No, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us that get a free pass there. And what that means is that the gospel is relevant to all of us. You see, sin separates us from God. And then each one of us are further separated from one another because of our difference. But the good news of the gospel overcomes our sin and it overcomes our differentness. Therefore, it is relevant to all of us. It is relevant to every single one of us in this room. The question is, how does the gospel overcome our differentness and overcome our sin? Well, notice that Luke tells us what he says there beginning in verse 28. You see, as Philip nears this chariot in which this Ethiopian eunuch had been riding, he overhears him reading a passage of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah. Specifically, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Let me point out that, that for the eunuch to have a copy of the Scriptures testifies that he was a man of means because, first of all, those scrolls are not easy to find, nor were they cheap in those days. And as one has put it, Though he may not have found God in Jerusalem, he had found something. And that something would end up changing his life. Because he's there and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And, and hearing that, Philip asks him an honest question. He comes up beside the chariot and he says, Listen, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, How can I understand it if I don't have anybody to explain it to me? Many of you may have felt that way at some point in your life. Someone had given you a copy of the Scriptures or you got one for yourself and you started reading and you got to those various parts of the Scriptures that you got to the Levitical law section or you got into genealogies and you just sort of bogged down. And you're thinking, I can't make heads or tails of any of this stuff that I'm reading. I think all of us at some point in our lives have come to that place in reading the Scriptures. Here's, what I, here's the key that I want you to notice. Notice what happened when Philip got up into the chariot with that Ethiopian eunuch. According to verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Isn't that something? He's in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was written thousand years before, hundreds of years before Jesus had even been born. And yet here, even from Isaiah 53, Philip uses that passage to preach Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should, because we see something familiar, something similar to that take place in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, we find that there are two friends that are walking down this road together back to their house in Emmaus. It happens on the day after Jesus had been crucified and they had taken his body down and placed it in the tomb. And the Bible says that as they were walking back to their homes, they were discussing all the sadness and all the sorrow and all their dejected disappointment and the fact that everything that they had hoped that would occur because of what Jesus had done in Jerusalem had gone away because he had been killed. And suddenly this stranger shows up and begins to walk with him. They don't recognize it, but it is actually the resurrected Christ. And he walks with them down the road and they begin to discuss things. And Jesus begins to reveal the fact that they did not understand everything that had occurred to him in Jerusalem because they had not understood the Scriptures. And then Luke tells us, beginning in verse 27, that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now that passage in Luke chapter 24 and this passage here in Acts chapter 8 
both testify to the same thing. And that is that the scriptures center around Jesus. In fact, note the next point on your outline. The third point that I want you to see this morning is this. The scriptures tell us that the gospel centers around Jesus and his sacrificial death. Friends, I want you to know from Genesis to Revelation, the special revelation of God that we hold in our hands this morning, 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over hundreds of years, God superintended over every single bit of that so that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ might come bursting forth from every single page and that we might know why Jesus came and how it impacts our lives and what we are to do in response to it. And that is what this Ethiopian eunuch is about to find out. You see, we mentioned before that God works often behind the scenes to bring the good news of the gospel to our attention. Well, God is doing that again here. He's got Isaiah open and reading it. The prophet Isaiah, and not just any part of Isaiah, he's reading Isaiah 53. Now, you go back and read Isaiah 53 for yourself later on today, and what you're going to hear is, is these kind of things. In that chapter, Jesus is depicted as the one who was took up our infirmities and, and, was, and carried our sorrows. He was the one who was pierced for our transgressions. He was the one who was crushed for our iniquities. It describes how all we like sheep have gone astray and that how the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All of that's right there in Isaiah 53. But according to what Luke tells us here in Acts chapter 8, the specific verses that this Ethiopian was reading depict one who like a sheep was led to slaughter, but was silent before his shearers. And he was one who was denied justice in his humiliation, and his life was taken from him. That's, that's what this Ethiopian eunuch is reading, of course, according to verses 32 and 33. Well, if you think about that, can you begin to understand why this passage was so important to this eunuch? I mean... Consider the number of ways that he could identify with the person that Isaiah is describing. Though he had not been murdered, this Ethiopian eunuch felt no doubt as if his life had been taken from him. Because he was a eunuch, he would, have, he, would have, he would never have a posterity. In the words of the prophet, he likely wondered who would declare him in this generation. He had no, he had no generation to declare him in the, the ones to come. He had no children. Furthermore, as we noted, when this eunuch had gone to Jerusalem, the law had kept him from entering the temple courts. And now he reads of someone else who had been humiliated, someone else who had been cut off. So because he identified with him, the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to know who this man was that Isaiah wrote about. What we read is that Philip took the opportunity to explain to him that the one that Isaiah wrote about was none other than Jesus Christ. The Messiah sent by God to lay down his life on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And listen, with that explanation, suddenly everything changed. Philip, as Philip presented Jesus to this man, the Holy Spirit of God began to work in his heart and began to do a miracle in this Ethiopian's heart. And, and he began to realize that all the walls of separation that, that had existed between him and God had been removed. Because of what Christ had done. And not only that, not only that, but he came to realize that though he might be looked down upon by others, 
because of his physical condition or because of his, his skin color or because of his nationality, those things did not keep him from the freedom that was offered to him through Christ. And I want you to know a new and glorious day had dawned in this man's life. And, and that's what leads me to the next point that I want you to see. The fourth point on your outline this morning is simply this. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will replace your emptiness with fullness of joy. When you receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will replace your emptiness with fullness of joy. What we see from this passage is that God works behind the scenes in our lives to bring us to the place where we realize our need for the gospel of Jesus so that we will place our faith and our trust in him and have our emptiness and our sadness replaced by the fullness of joy that only he can bring. Listen, that's what happened with this Ethiopian eunuch. He, he believed. He, he placed his faith in Jesus the Messiah without hesitation. In fact, as soon as he saw a watering hole on the side of the road, he said, what prevents me from being baptized right here and right now? What hinders me? He immediately wanted to identify himself with Jesus. Now, let me, allow me just to say a quick word about verse 37. If you're reading with me from the New King James to the King James, you likely did not notice anything when I was reading this passage earlier. But if you were reading from the ESV or the NIV or another, another translation, you'll either see verse 37 in brackets or you'll see some sort of footnote stating that this verse does not appear in the earliest and the, and the, and the oldest manuscripts that we have of the book of Acts. And many scholars assert that this verse was added later by by some uh, scribes who wanted, who believed that Philip would have certainly uh, made sure that this Ethiopian eunuch truly did believe in his heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, and, and so that, that's the, the assertion that's made there. Here's what we can know of absolute certainty. This eunuch's confession here in, in, in chapter 8, verse 37, it's the same confession that Peter made in Matthew chapter 16. You remember in in Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the same confession that's, that's brought forward here. So nothing in, in verse 37 is, is, is out, of, out of bounds in any way, shape, or form. It's the same confession that Peter made. Furthermore, I would say that it parallels very clearly what we read in Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas in the jail and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To believe on means more than just to believe about. It means to believe with everything you've got into Jesus Christ. And Philip tells this Ethiopian eunuch, says, If you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And let me say this to you, believing with all your heart, it's not just simply affirming that there's someone whose name is Jesus. It's, it's different from simply attesting to the fact that this man lived and died. Listen, to believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and who the Scriptures reveal him to be. That he is the God-man, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior sent from heaven to redeem you from your sins. And to believe on Jesus in this way is to place your full confidence and trust in Him and only in Him. It means letting go of your hope in anything and in anyone else. That is what faith in Christ entails. It means abandoning any hope in yourself entirely 
and laying hold of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. That is what this Ethiopian eunuch did. He placed his complete and undivided faith in Jesus to save him from his sins. And then he followed the example that had been set for him by Jesus and was baptized right there in some water on the side of the road. And then we read in verse 39 that the Spirit of the Lord came and caught Philip away to another place. And people go, what in the world does that mean? Well, I think it means exactly what it says. I think Philip was there. Suddenly he wasn't. Now, I don't have an explanation for it, which a human, without a human explanation, you know what that makes it? It makes it a miracle. That Philip was there and suddenly he was not there. But I want you to know the greater miracle that has occurred is that salvation has come to the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. He had that which he sought for. He had a relationship with God Almighty in heaven through Jesus Christ. His sins had been washed away. His guilt had been expunged. He no longer stood before God guilty because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the greater miracle that occurs at the end of this passage. And Luke tells us that he went his way rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel of Jesus will replace your emptiness with fullness of joy. The reason that is the case is because when you, when you place your faith in Jesus, the great exchange occurs. You trade all of your guilt and you trade all of your sin for all of Christ's righteousness. It's a trade that anyone should make. Everyone who truly understands it will make that trade. And what results is pure joy in his heart. Up to this point, his life had been marked by emptiness that resulted from his differentness. But now there was no distinction and there was no blemishes and there were no disqualifications that kept him from Jesus. His emptiness was replaced by joy. And I want you to know that that same joy is available to you. It's available to all who will receive the good news of Jesus' offer of forgiveness of sins. This, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. Whatever blemishes you may have or whatever, whatever disqualifi disqualifications you believe will keep you from God. I want you to know that Jesus has overcome them all. As the verse of that hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, as it states, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed. For me. Now there's one last point, one last point that I want to draw your attention to this morning before we conclude from our study. The fifth point is simply this. Because the gospel is such good news, we must be ready and willing to tell others about it. Because the gospel is such good news, we must be ready and willing to tell others about it. Now that may not be the primary message of this passage, I will admit, but it is an important thing that we ought to recognize that's embedded in this emphasis on personal evangelism that's there. What I mean by that is that it is the willingness of one person to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with another person one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what happened between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. And I think it's important to note that Philip did not... Look, he didn't start out with some sort of specific technique or, or some sort of... Uh, uh, to, to engage this Ethiopian eunuch. And let me say to you, there are, there are a number of fine and profitable methods out there of sharing the gospel with other people. And I've, I've used them all and I, I continue to kind of move between one and the other and back and forth whenever I'm talking with people at various points. And they are good things to be familiar with. 
But the main thing that I want you to know is that it takes, when, you, when it ta- comes to personal evangelism, is having someone who's willing to open their mouth and share Jesus Christ with someone else. What you learn most about Philip, according to Acts chapter 6, verse 5, is that he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was someone who lived his life in the presence of the Lord. And furthermore, he was one who lived in obedience to the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that obedient life. When the Lord told him to move from Samaria down to this deserted place, he picked up, he left, and he went. Here's what I want you to know. When he did, he encountered a man who was searching. He encountered a eunuch who was who was already trying to figure out what was separating him from God. And according to Isaiah 53, he was already reading these passages and asking questions. All Philip had to do was walk through the door that the Lord had already opened. This man's heart was already open to what God would want to do. He was listening. He was waiting. All Philip did was walk through the door that God had opened. Brothers and sisters, I firmly believe that the Spirit of God is always working. And I believe many times He is working in the lives of the very folks with whom we cross paths. And all we have to do is walk through the door. What we have the responsibility to to do is to courageously and boldly speak the truth when the Spirit of God opens the door and then we introduce these people to Jesus. We arm ourselves with the Scriptures. We arm ourselves with all kinds of aids and abilities that help us explain the the, the means of the Gospel. But in the end of the day, we are telling other people that, look, I was once lost and without hope. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins until I came to faith in Jesus Christ, until another person introduced me to the one who could save me from my sins. And we tell them about eternal life. And we tell them that we will gain that eternal life not because of any good deeds that we do. We don't get there because of some rewards that we have earned on our own. No, we let them know my only hope comes because Jesus Christ died and rose again and has saved me from my sins. And I want you to know that if that is your testimony, if you have been saved, It is your responsibility to tell others about that good news. But it's not just your responsibility that you think, oh my goodness, I've got to tell somebody else about Jesus today. No, I want you to know that it is the greatest story that you could ever tell. It ought to be your privilege and your highest watermark of desire to get to tell somebody else about Jesus. I quoted this verse, I quoted this hymn earlier, but let me me quote the verse that gives the hymn its title. It goes this way. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the wonders of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim the glories to the world abroad and the honors of thy name. That's that's what it ought to burn within us, the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with someone else who doesn't have that faith that you have. Brothers and sisters, we have to be ready and willing to tell others about Jesus because it's the good good news and it's exactly what they need to hear. It's the absolute best news that we could ever declare. Listen, when we faithfully do that, we can be certain that God is always at work behind the scenes to bring His will to pass in the lives of those with whom we come in contact. And it is that that brings me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. 
trusting that God is always at work and making ourselves available for his service, we proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus that overcomes what separates us from God and from each other and replaces our emptiness with fullness of joy. Let me ask you this morning, have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you placed your full faith in him to save you from the penalty of your sin? The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. What that means is that you can work as hard as you possibly can, but if your confidence is in yourself and not in Jesus Christ and what he has done through his death and resurrection, all of that work will be in vain and you will never please God. If you have never trusted Christ to save you, if you have never admitted your sin and humbly asked him to forgive you and cleanse you, I plead with you today to come to Jesus. Fall before him and receive his offer of mercy and grace. Place your faith in him and make him the Lord and the ruler of your life. And if that is your testimony, the question is, are you experiencing the fullness of joy that is yours in Christ? Are you, are you living your life in the knowledge of the freedom and the blessing that he bestows upon his children? Because listen, that is what comes to you when you realize, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, that nothing is able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord when you realize that everything that could have ever taken you away from him has been removed because of Jesus, that replaces your sorrow with joy. Because of Jesus, all walls of separation have been broken down, and he has made the way for you and for me to be saved and redeemed. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater news that we could ever declare or that we could ever preach. There's no greater news that we could proclaim to a broken, hurting, disjointed, divisive world around us than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we will be found faithful in doing that, and that as a result, there will be many who, like this Ethiopian eunuch, will trust in Jesus and will go on their way rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God, and it is for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for what it teaches us I always pray this prayer. What it teaches us about ourselves and the situation and the condition in which we find ourselves, it reveals that to us, but then it reveals the solution to our problem. And that solution is Jesus. And it reveals him to us, Lord, in so many different ways from so many different avenues. And just as we've seen today, it, it helps us to be able to completely understand that our only hope is in him. So my prayer this morning is that having spent some time studying this word, that your Holy Spirit will do exactly what he does, and that is move in the hearts and the, the minds and the lives of these who are in this room, these that are worshiping with us online. Lord, that you might cause them to be tender, to be able to understand that you have been working behind the scenes throughout their lives to bring them to this point of revealing yourself fully to them. Lord, my prayer is, is that you would convince them of their sinfulness, but Lord, convince them of your great love for them, 
which is why Jesus came, and that you would convince them that they too can experience salvation full and free by trusting and placing their hope and faith in you. Lord, for the rest of us, that that is our testimony, then I pray that you would place a great burden upon our heart, a joyful burden to the desire to share the good news of Christ with those in which we come in contact. May our voices always lift up Jesus, our Savior. May we always be found with a word of faith and, and confidence and hope in Christ, our only hope. So this is my prayer, Lord, and I pray that you would hear it. I pray that you would answer it according to your will. For it is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.